Hello, how are you? Good morning, good afternoon, good night, all that good stuff. Uh, welcome to another episode of Rightfully So with uh, Bill, Jeanette, and Carrie. Uh, this week we're going to talk about the classic, I don't know what to write about. Uh, in other words, this idea of how, where do ideas come from, right? That, that always sort of um, elusive, ephemeral, like where do ideas come from? Uh, so I thought we would sort of share where our ideas come from and see if that doesn't sort of inspire you, the listener, to think about where your ideas might come from. So let me just put it out there, Carrie, Jeanette, where do your ideas come from? Depends. <laughs> so sometimes um, it, it, when when you posed when you posed this question, I actually thought of the many times for me, it's when I'm driving. Uh, and it's a little inconvenient, but I've learned to keep a notepad and or, you know, my phone handy where I can just record. It's, it's generally when I'm not wanting the, uh, <laughs> the idea and <laughs> it would be more convenient if I was sitting in front of my computer when the ideas came to me, but actually my really great ones do come when I'm doing something else. Um, and sometimes even when I'm walking or running, like it's just a different point where I'm not thinking consciously of like, I must generate ideas. It just occurs to me. Um, what about you guys? I would say, yeah, probably the same for me. I feel like I've never been in a position where I sat down to write a paper and the idea was there. Um, it it's always happening. Like you said, like usually when I'm running is kind of where my brain starts to just kind of go on its tangents. And I'm just, you know, thinking about everything throughout the day. And so sometimes I'll think about, oh, that reading I was doing earlier, you know, what's a way I can approach that. I actually do a lot of lesson planning on my running too. <laughs> um, for some reason, that's where I start to like reason through, you know, what activities would be more effective and that kind of stuff. So it's like that for me is kind of prime time to just kind of let my brain run, run free. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for, for that. Um, <laughs> but, but mostly it's, it's like, like Jeanette was saying, it's never at the time that you kind of need it, quote unquote, need it to happen. Um, and I think part of that is because it's, your brain slowly processing the thing that you have read, you know, for your class, like if it was something that was assigned, it does take time to process. And within the moment, you're just kind of going, okay, that was a lot of information to take in. Your brain's kind of still in absorbing, like it's a sponge where it's just taking in all the water and you kind of need a moment to like sit or like, you know, kind of get some of the water out or, you know, like kind of think about it a little bit more. And then that's when you start to kind of go, oh, actually, and you start to make more connections that way. So it definitely happens when I'm not planning for it to happen, which is not the best. I mean, not the best when you're trying to plan your day, but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. And, and I feel like we've got like a, an anonymous decision here because it's the same for me as well. Like it's never a it's never forced. Like I can't just sit down and be like, okay, ready, set ideas. Um, in fact, the harder I try and do that, like the more your mind is like, did I leave the iron on? Like it, it feels like the more you try to like think about the subject you're supposed to be working on, the more your brain wants to wander. Um, 
and I think I've commented, um, like on social media before how, like when I have like a writing project I'm supposed to be working on and it's like, but my brain just kind of keeps sliding off of it. It's like, I want to work on this, but the minute I start thinking about it, it just kind of like, eh, and slides off. Like it wants to do something else. And yet my best ideas are again, um, you know, in the shower, on the commute, um, especially when I'm commuting on my motorcycle, right? Because it's just wind noise and a helmet and there's no music, no nothing, right? And it's just literally that white noise. My brain's like, I need to entertain myself. Hey, you know what would be great? You should start a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, brain, let's do that. <laughs> um, so not all the ideas are great, but most of them are pretty useful. Um, and then I also feel like I'm a bit of a, an intuitive learner. In other words, I don't... I don't feel like I, I consciously or deliberately try to sort of make connections between like readings and research. Um, I feel like those things sort of happen somewhat organically or, or subconsciously. Um, you know, before the podcast and I were talking and I said, you know, my master's thesis was the result of, of making a connection between two unrelated things because I had a particular question that I was trying to answer. Um, and it was sort of like, you know, how, how do you get a group of people to sort of buy into a collective delusion? And I'm like, well, now they have, their belief system have to change in some way. And then it just sort of like clicked. And I remembered something I had read somewhere else about um, cognitive schema and how people sort of uh, rationalize pre-existing traditionally held ideas with new information, right? And how they decide which things to keep and which things to throw away um, and how they sort of deal with like unfamiliar information. And I'm like, well, that could explain it. Like, here's this sort of environment where people are sort of like primed to receive new information and then the propaganda works. And the next thing you know, like it's women being burned at the stake. It's not quite that easy, but that's sort of how it worked in my brain at the time. Um, so, I mean, it's the same thing. Like you can't just sit down at the computer and, and force the ideas to come. Um, it also made me realize how much the sort of pre-writing activity of reading and doing like pre-research makes a huge difference. You know, uh, you have to do the reading if you want the ideas. Um, you can't really expect to just read the prompt and be like, I know, I'm going to write about this, right? Like, I feel like that never, never works or almost never works. You both mentioned connections. So I think this is another key to this is that, um, so, it, so the, the easiest way I can explain this is for a little while, um, my writing class had a theme of humor. Um, and one of the coolest things about this topic was that it was interdisciplinary. So basically some students at the end were writing about the psychological value of humor. Some were writing on sort of the, and, and that kind of went with the biological, but then um, there is the philosophical end of humor, you know? And so it was in thinking about the different and, and then there's humor and literature in terms of it being satire and critiquing and, you know, like, so these different disciplines all have a different take on it. But by thinking about different ways or perspectives of thinking about it and connecting it, um, that actually made for really interesting ideas, right? Like, so you need almost to, and it seems a little forced to say it like this, but that's that seems like when really cool ideas happen, right? Like when you're able to connect, like you were saying, Bill, um, and I can't remember if it's in our pre-conversation or you just were talking about witchcraft and 
What was it? <laughs> I literally just mentioned it because I, I remember it from our sort of like pre pre-recording discussion. I'm like, that was a good bit. I want to remember that for later and sort of like slide it in there. But um, yeah, I mean, just to, to read widely, right? Mm-hmm. And to allow other topics to inform your writing process for a particular prompt. Um, and I guess I, f- I feel like that sort of like segues into something else I wanted to talk about, which is in the idea generation game, there are no bad ideas. There may be ones that when you start to research it, maybe it isn't going to work very well. But in the very beginning, when you're just trying to figure out what it is you want to do with this prompt, there really are no bad ideas. And and I've seen students sort of be reluctant because they feel like they have to get it right the first time. So there's anxiety about like choosing the topic. They're like, oh, I wanted, I don't know, but this might not be right. Or I don't like, they, they really sort of get into like decision paralysis because they're trying to pick that one perfect thing. And I'm like, write them all down, just all of them. And then, and then just, I don't know, sit with it for a minute and, and sort of see which one you keep gravitating towards, right? Cross off the ones that you're not interested in or you're sort of lukewarm about or, but chances are, if you've got a list of, of ideas that you sort of have collected over the week, chances are there's going to be one that you keep coming back to, right? And that's probably going to be the one that you want to write about. I would almost argue that, like you said, there's no bad ideas. There's incomplete ideas or incomplete thoughts. And it's kind of like something will happen where you make, like Jenna said, some sort of connection and you're still trying to kind of process what that connection might mean, what the implications are, what contexts, you know, you're kind of still playing around with the idea. And so the, the bad idea concept is more just that it's not completely finished. So I would even say it's, it means that you still need that time. Maybe you need to go for a run. Maybe you need to go for a drive, you know, to kind of make the connections more clear in your head. Um, and sometimes that even, that even kind of helps to strengthen it. Right. Um, and I would even say too, when it comes to, you know, like you were saying, reading just this whole idea of generating ideas comes from just exposing yourself to new information and it doesn't even have to be reading I've had good ideas come to me when I'm like at a museum you know and I'm reading a plaque about something and I'm like oh that's kind of interesting to think about and then all of a sudden like I start to think of oh what if it was this and that and you know and it it just kind of adds so it's just how do you get more information coming in um you know and kind of thinking about it in that sense so it's not just necessarily like like you're saying not just reading it's just new information in whatever way that you're taking it in so go to I once had a paper come out of a <laughs> that was good i once had a paper come out of um reading kant's philosophy like truth is beauty beauty is truth and then our zadie smith novel on beauty and mm. and those two things sort of like there was an intersection there and i'm like well if beauty is truth and this character sort of like realizing the truth of of who they are right that moment of self-actualization then then that's their beauty. And then came up this whole concept of like subjective versus objective beauty. And the idea that if you're judging your yourself on the, what other people believe to be aesthetically pleasing, then that's like objective beauty. But if you're like, I'm beautiful as I am, they're sort of aesthetic standards be damned. And that's subjective beauty, right? Sort of the difference between me as a thought object versus I as a thought object. But again, it's like, as Carrie mentioned, it's like, it came from the most random place. Like, Zadie Smith and Emmanuel Kant should not intersect normally. Like you're not going to find those two things on a reading list normally, but it's because I allowed 
the opportunity for those things to sort of mix and match in my brain a little bit, um, it resulted in, a, in an interesting idea that I really enjoyed like playing with and going back and exploring it further and making sure that it actually worked on paper. And then could I defend it with like text, you know, from the novel? And um, I eventually got there. It wasn't it wasn't easy, but I got there. Um, but yeah, I guess it sort of sort of speaks to Carrie's point, too, about there's not a really a bad idea, but maybe a complete incomplete idea. Right. So starting with this idea of, well, there seems to be there's like two ways of sort of understanding like beauty. But how do we codify that? How do we explain it? How do we have like a sort of like a rational, logical discussion about something that's largely subjective? Right. And then it kind of that. And again, I feel like uh, so many of my best papers come from I have this almost impossible question that I'm trying to answer. Um, and then it, it sort of like it sort of drives me to to work a little bit harder to write a consistently or a logically consistent piece. Right. Because you, you can't make an assertion and be like, well, it's because I said so. I mean, discerning readers can be like, I don't know about this. You use a lot of big words, but it seems like a lot of BS to me. Like, where did this come from? That made me think of, uh, I was teaching a literature and composition class, uh, and we actually studied, um, my students read uh, fairy tales. And one of the fairy tales I assigned was The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen, uh, which is, Newsflash, very different from the Disney version, the Disney film. Um, anyhow, she was taking an environmental science class at the time. Um, and so she actually ended up writing, um, and she didn't realize this because she wasn't a literature major, an eco-critical um, theory, theory lens uh, examination of The Little Mermaid since uh, the underwater universe that she's coming from is just amazing and gorgeous and you know like nature at its core um and so it is one of those things where you just don't know like it is something where you know and she was she she wasn't a literature major she was actually a science major so it's one of those things where she was able to think through even what she was understanding about environmental science in a different way through this fairy tale so it's kind of the cool thing with college i mean it's like these classes sometimes you can you can like discover these 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 things like just by thinking about them and how they're connected right like just never know that's that is one thing i try to do too is i try to encourage them to think about how stuff might relate between classes too um i remember one time um this was way back in the day when i did uh frankenstein as one of our texts that we read and one of my students at the time, uh, Jurassic World came out and she was like, it's kind of like Frankenstein. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and I was like, yeah, you know, don't play God. Like these are all things that are very much related. And she was kind of like, oh, and then she was like, and it made me think about my chemistry class where we were talking about, you know, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like you're making the connections. Like that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do. And you know, I feel like there's a certain point in, in, um, for a lot of students where every subject is just seen as so different, you know, now I'm going into this class. Now I'm going into this class and they almost start to compartmentalize <laughs> all of those ideas. And I'm like, you can't, they do kind of overlap sometimes. Like it's okay to recognize that maybe something you're talking about, you know, in, in your class, you know, in, cultural studies or something, you know, that that relates to something that you're talking about in literature class, or, you know, like I said, something in biochem, maybe you're talking about some sort of ethical debate. Does that actually showcase itself in, in, you know, maybe an art class? It's like, all of this really does 
connect. And so it's just a matter of you kind of going, well, where else do I see this happening? And kind of, you know, trying to make those connections or trying to notice those connections, I should say. Um, that's kind of the, one of the keys, I think that's really, really crucial. That kind of gets lost, I think, because they're just thinking in that one mode of this is my literature class, this is my, you know, different class. So it's just a matter of trying to see that they, there's overlaps for sure. <laughs> oh, it's such well, a great point, because I was just going to mention this idea that I, I was about to, before we got into that, I was thinking about like, Students have a tendency, I think some of their challenges, they silo, right? Or compartmentalize. They're like, this is GEW, so all of my ideas have to be about writing. This is history, so all my ideas. And I'm like, actually, that history class might prove to to be a great critical lens by which to read this text, right? Or this experience, like, again, like the chemistry or Jurassic World or... You know, I remember before I got onto the witchcraft thing, my master's thesis was going to be on the Matrix as modern mythology, right? Because, and then I'm like, oh, it's just the hero's tale told over and over again. So that's not interesting. Joseph Campbell, everyone gets it. I don't want to be another one of those um, who was like, hey, I read Joseph Campbell too. Look what I do with it. You need to do something more interesting, right? Um, but yeah, like that, that critical lens coming from sort of an unexpected spot. It's like, don't, don't put yourself in that box necessarily. If there's, and, and that's why I try to, to I don't think I necessarily communicate it as well as, as Carrie does, but I, I try to encourage my students to to find a way into the prompt. So in other words, you know, if the prompt is about monsters, I'm like, there's a there's a million different ways to approach something as broad of a category as monsters. So what interests you? What are the subjects that you're passionate about? What do you enjoy? And then can that provide a way into this writing prompt? Like, you know, are you interested in maybe you're like pre-med? Suddenly monsters, Frankenstein seems like a nice in for like pre-med or the idea of the cryptozoology that, you know, we have all of these animals that are sort of like like multiple animals spliced together. Like that seems to sort of deny biology. And yet we have these stories in, in mythology. So like find your way in, like don't look at the prompt and be like, oh, I can only talk about this thing. I'm like, we want you to talk about that thing, but in your way, in your, in your unique perspective. And I think that goes back to what you're interested in too, right? So especially for students who know like what their major might be. Like I remember having, you know, somebody who had like a, you know, who's a poli-sci major and they were like, can I, can I write about this? Like, it's kind of more on my, you know, field that I'm interested in. And I was like, absolutely. Like, feel free to put in those ideas that you're already passionate about the ideas that you already have, maybe that you're thinking of things and that you're starting to, you know, dwell on those ideas, feel free to put those in and kind of see how those connections work. You know, it's not, it's not just a one track kind of your essay is only thinking about this one particular class, you know, it's, it's even better if you can make those, those larger connections or, you know, a psychology major kind of saying, well, what if I approach it this way? You know? So I think sometimes the, I don't know what to write about question is more just, I don't have ideas pertaining to this specific, very focused thing. And I'm like, let's stretch that out a little bit. Let's think outside that tiny little bubble and, you know, what else does it connect to? And now all of a sudden you, you have more ideas. Yeah, I figure if uh, someone in my graduate cohort could make every single paper about ekphrasis, I think it's possible to bring outside subjects to GEW. It's entirely possible. Or to first-year writing. Nothing is impossible.
Um, and actually on that, we only have a, a, a couple minutes left. So this seems like a, a great place to, we had like a sort of a natural lull in the conversation. So it seems like a great place to sort of like wrap up this particular episode. Uh, is there any other comments that we want to sort of like add to the idea of, of you know, getting over that sort of writer's block of, of creativity? You, in our pre-talk, we talked a little bit about conversations and collaboration as part of idea, idea generation. So I suspect we will talk more about that in, at a later date in terms of how that works with plagiarism, but also like just collaborative thinking and writing in general. Um, but that is a source of idea generation. And most times when you're collaborating with someone and you're having a conversation about the topic, it's gonna be totally fine to use the, um, the ideas. Like it's not, it's different than I'm going to go and Google something. That That is plagiarism, but kind of, it's a gray line. Again, it's something for a whole new, <laughs> whole other episode. But um, generally when you are going in and talking with your, a uh, professor or the writing center or, you know, even your older brother, um, these conversations are totally fine for idea generation. Yeah, I would say don't feel compelled that your idea has to be 100% unique from you only. Because yep. um, let's be clear, there's nothing, oh, there's nothing new under the sun, I, I think is a, is a great way to put it. There, if you thought of it, chances are you can go on the internet and Google it and someone else has already thought about it and has already published about it. So don't, I got over that real quick in grad school, that whole, like, it's gotta be completely unique. I'm like, it's impossible. There is nothing new under the sun. Um, so I'm going to write about what is interesting to me and is, and is appropriate to the topic and, um, gives me a passing grade and, and consider it just sort of practicing in articulating ideas. It's not necessarily that I'm trying to change the paradigm of the discussion, but I'm learning to communicate my ideas clearly. That's true. And I think kind of on a, as like a final note too, I think that it's important to remember that part of the brainstorming process really is about um, making the prompt your own. Um, and like you said, kind of not worrying about what other people have said, just kind of thinking about how you personally respond to that. How do you feel about that? And if your instructor, I mean, that's where we kind of go back to and what we've talked about before with prompts, especially talk to your instructor and, you know, sometimes they'd be willing to say, if you want to take this in a slightly different direction, that's totally awesome. I'm excited to see what you do with it, you know? So, so don't feel like the, the prompt itself is so fixed and so, you know, specific that it's going to force you to come up with some sort of, you know, like there is a right or wrong answer. That's the beauty of writing. There is no right or wrong answer. It's whether or not you prove it with great evidence and, you know, kind of, and, and use, you know, rhetorical appeals correctly. Like it's all about how you do it to make sure that you do it right. But there's not really a wrong answer in that sense. So just kind of be open to the fact that, you know, maybe even the prompt itself can be more flexible and, you know, free to, you know, you're free to kind of insert your, your ideas. Um, I think that's a major part of it. Cause I always feel so bad when, when students always, you know, read a prompt and they say, Oh, you know, I don't know what to do with this. And I don't have any ideas on it. And then it's like, after a conversation, they go, Oh, wait, I can write about that. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you can. So, so just know that the prompts are usually a little bit more open than, than you might expect. And just having that conversation with your instructor, just number one, lets them know that you're that you're interested and you care. Um, and then number two, just let them know that you're, that you're trying and you're making those connections. And that's all we really want at the end of the day. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, there are no wrong answers, and we just want you to make connections and sort of exercise that that uh, critical thinking cap a little bit. So I think that's a great place to end this week's episode. I want to thank uh, Jeanette and Carrie for joining me again. Um, and then since I still don't have a great sign off, uh, just you know, don't forget to like and subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. Smash it. <laughs>